This is a free download from the BBC. For more information, go to bbc.co.uk slash podcasts. Hello, this is Ian's podcast. You're all welcome here, but you must take your shoes off. And tuck that shirt in. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. So, Ian came back this week. I know, never mind. But he's got me, Catherine Boyle, off the news to do his podcast again. I'd better get his wages for this. Here's the moment he returned. Did you miss me when I was away? Did you hang my picture on your wall? Did you miss me every single day? Well, did you, Catherine? Um, uh, yes. Is that, is that the answer you were looking for? Yeah. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Nah, I didn't miss him. Bring back David Prever. At least he washes his hands after he uses the toilet. Here's the thing. You go to the loo, you do whatever you need to do. Let's not get medical. There's no need for vulgarity on this show. It's very highbrow since I've taken over. Then do you wash your hands? I don't. And I'm not dead. Well, our reporter, Justin Dealey, joins me now. Good morning, Justin. Ian, you're a sick man. Sorry? You're a sick, sick man. What on earth are you talking about? Don't wash your hands. Nice to see you back, by the way. I see this, uh, you've brought the quality back with you. First day back. Do men wash their hands after going to the toilet? Yeah. (coughs) Yeah, good. Yeah, I heard uh, 15 minutes of yesterday's Mm, show. You had some drunk men shouting (laughs) out a Coldplay song. So, don't knock me for quality, Dealey. I'll take that one, I'll take that one. Yes, Yes, I bet you do. Now, so you're saying you wash your hands after going to the bathroom? Every single time. I'm a clean man. I'm a gent. (laughs) Okay, right, that's what you say. So, uh, you've been speaking to people this morning. I bet most of them are on my side. Uh, Yeah, I have to say they are. Um, I've been asking men about this. Now, some of this content is is rather X-rated, so just to warn our listeners, but I have been asking men if they wash their hands after going to the loo, and this is what they've had to say. No, not every time. Depends whether I get my fingers wet or not. Oh, that is filthy, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's not. It's true. <laughs> it's true. If, if they're wet, I wash my hands. If they're not, I don't. Most of the time, yes, but I have to say there are occasions when I do not. Well, occasionally, but it depends how... Well, my member is really quite clean, so and my hands are usually quite clean. So, as far as my member is concerned, yeah. he's quite clean, I'm quite clean, end of story. But occasionally I will have to. Why don't you wash your hands? Because I'm a great believer in my body will function and combat all the things that I'm putting in me. I haven't got time to be washing my hands. I'm not a freeloader like you. I'm working for a living. <laughs> uh, most times, yeah. Most times? Well, 90%. You see, Justin, most people... And listen, I agree with that chap. I don't wee on my hands and my winky is clean. <laughs> so what's, what, what's the point? Yes, uh, lo- lots of men out there who are also filthy. Uh, free-spirited men uh, across beds, hearts and bucks, clearly. <laughs> That's the title of your autobiography, I believe. Free-spirited men, the Justin Dealey story. John's in Milton Keynes. John, good morning. Oh, uh, sorry, I was, was going to say afternoon, Ian. Good morning, Ian. D- don't say afternoon, John. That's insane talk. It's the morning. That's why we're wishing the time away, yeah. yeah. Yeah, let's not wish the time away. Now, listen, you don't want... You, you sound like a sensible man, uh, a slightly dirty man. You don't wash your hands after going to the loo, do you? Well, I'm a slightly di- di- dirty man because where, when I'm in someone's house or in my house, I'll always wash my hands, make a point every time to give my hands a good old scrub. But if I'm in my garden doing something dirty outside, like building work, whatever it is, or laying plants... I'll pee in my garden over my plants, which is probably good for my plants anyway. Uh-huh. I won't bother wa- washing my hands. You pee on your plants? I might do, yeah. 
and yet you claim to be a, a, a decent human being. That's more, that's more disgusting than me doing a number one or a number two and not washing my hands in a toilet. Well, you know what? Also, I'll tell you what, sir, me, um, I used to play golf many years ago, and yeah. um, I remember um, on the golf course, men can easily go for a pee, and I never wash their hands. Hang on a second. Yeah. This, is, this is a secret world I'd never heard of. I'm, I'm not particularly au fait with golf. Well, so you're saying that, that one of the things that men do is they go for a wee on the golf course? On the golf course, in the bushes, it's the sort of thing a lady can't do for obvious reasons. They go into the bushes, have a pee, and on the 18th, um, on the 18th green, after a round of golf finished, one of the players who'd just done that wanted to shake everyone's hand and I said sorry I can't shake your hand because you, you didn't wash your hands after a pee so um, that's kind of kind of an accepted thing between um, right. um, so the regular players golf, golf etiquette is you don't shake hands on the golf course because you've all urinated in the bushes well it's my etiquette it's my etiquette because if I know someone's gone for a pee um, or if I've gone for a pee in the bushes I'll warn everyone I'll say look I've gone for a pee do you want to shake my hand or not it's up to you well, you give them the option. That's that's nice of you. Isn't it good to see that some people say that BBC Three Counties Radio has dumbed down since I joined, and I, I think I can quite disprove that. Despite Ian enjoying nonsense and your quirky stories, he can be serious and sincere at times, and he's very good at it. Earlier this week, he was asking, should prisoners have the right to vote? Let's speak to Juliet Lyon, who is the director of the Prison Reform Trust and thinks that prisoners should get the vote. Why do you think they should, Juliet? Because it's the law um, and because they're people. Those are the two, they're really simple reasons, but um, there was a a case in the European Court of Human Rights back in 2004 when um, the blanket ban on prisoners voting was declared unlawful and the UK government was asked to to decide how many or how few people in prison should vote in elections. Um, And it's dodged doing that for, you know, a decade. Should all prisoners get the vote? Well, it seems to us at Prison Reform Trust that if people are people um, behind bars and if the punishment of imprisonment is loss of liberty, then yes, they should. Ian Huntley should get the vote? That that, that uh, fellow that murdered that, that little April girl should get the vote? Really? The punishment that he's serving is... Um, Life imprisonment. I don't want. I don't want people like that child murderers to have a say in how my country is run. Why should they? Because they're still people. They're being punished. Ian Huntley's not really a prison. Yeah, yeah, Ian Huntley's not really a person, though, is he? You couldn't consider him yes, a man. Could, the, the gentleman, actually, I think, the I mean, gentleman I'm, I'm, that I think murdered April, should be considered a human being and should be given the same rights as a human being. Yes, actually. And it, do you know what you're saying? If you think about it, you've got a prison um, in your area. You just think about the prison staff who work there. Yeah. Think about the way in which they're required to treat people with humanity. Think about April's parents. And respect. Um, Where is the decency and respect for them? Well, they have lost something that they can never get back. And, and the crime is been committed that is completely terrible i'm not i'm not saying to you then why should that gentleman be given any say in how the country is run and any rights like that at all because the punishment is imprisonment and loss of his liberty and that is what he's serving and prison staff have to look after him with dignity and respect and this is probably why prison governors um probably why bishops to prisons probably by inspectors of prisons all think that as an ordinary part of life in prison and for most people not everybody but only 40 people will never leave prison for most people it's an ordinary part of their resettlement and it's about a duty and it's about a responsibility 
So, you know, even if you're not so keen on rights, most people think that voting is a responsibility. But Mark Bridger has... In Australia, we'd be fined if we didn't vote. What, Mark? But that, that's, that's uh, irrelevant. You, you Mark know, Bridger. Yeah, Mark you're, Bridger. You're no, thinking, Julia. Mark uh, yeah. Bridger. Mark Bridger has, has excluded himself from society by murdering a, a young five-year-old girl and lying about what he did with the body. Why you should he have any say? Why should he have any say in how my country is run? He's excluded himself. Well, if... If, you, if we lived in France or Germany... The we don't. Would, we live in England. Why should Mark Bridger have any just, say? Well, I'm just explaining to you. If we did live in, an, in France or Germany, then the courts would decide. So a case like that... No, no, we're, we're not talk, I don't want to talk about France or Germany, Juliet. We're talking about the moral, oblig- the moral situation. Why should Mark Bridger, who is a very nasty piece of work, why should he have any say in how this country is run? I, I'm not arguing with you that someone shouldn't go to prison. I think prison matters, and it's really important. Why should he have any say in how this country is run? Serious and violent crime should go to prison and spend Why should time he have any say in how this country is run? Because he is still a person. Because even if he's behind bars, he's still a person. You're sent to prison to lose your liberty, not your identity, not to take no responsibility for anything. He, but um, he's proven that he is un- incapable of, of taking responsibility. Yeah, and 40, 40 people out of 83,000 people in prison are going to spend the rest of their lives Good. There. Well, they obviously done something very, very bad. Terrible. They deserve to, yeah. Completely terrible. He has proven... But the vast majority, 80%, haven't committed a violent crime. He has proven that he is incapable of taking responsibility for anything. So I, I don't understand. You, you've yet to put forward a strong argument, Juliet, as to why someone who has killed a child and lied about it should have any say in how the country is run, in how things are done, in how my life is governed. Well, you could argue that while somebody's still alive, they still exist as a person and they're still a human being. You could equally argue that if somebody's committed a terrible crime, they should go to prison for a very long time. I'm not arguing on the second You thing. could also I argue that he's, he, he has, he has broken one of the most horrible, you know, one of the most horrible crimes there is. And he, he isn't a person in some way, because no person, no one with a soul or any degree of humanity could do what Mark Bridger did. Well, I sometimes look at cases and think that myself that you can't imagine how somebody could do such a terrible thing to somebody else you can't imagine how that could happen and you wonder whether they're even if whether they're well enough you know could could they have been ill how could anyone do that what would possess someone to do it but that's a completely different argument that is an argument about how we use punishment and how we use prison this is a case about voting and it would be perfectly possible for this government and it could have done it back in 2004 to say okay um we'll have a look and see what other people do in europe oh there's only six countries out of the 40 or so in the council of europe who don't allow prisoners to vote what do other countries do in france and germany the courts decide so they strip people of their vote if it's particularly serious offense in other countries everyone can vote you know, we're so far out of step, and we make such a huge issue of this, and, and you pick the worst cases possible. The yeah. government could decide that people who've committed a serious offence, at the moment there's a consultation about people and saying nobody who's serving more than four years should vote. It is up to this government to make a decision about that. You know, if they want people who are just serving short sentences, which is the vast majority of people in prison, well, Juliet, stay there. They Let's can decide that. Have a listen to this. We, we, we sent our reporter, Justin Delia, who spoke to some people. This is, this is their views on it. Well, it's supposed to be prison, isn't it? it you know, they, they should go in there. They should have, well, not necessarily porridge like I used to get, but, you know, they, they should have just the... 
basic things which I need, you know, a toilet, a bed. But I don't have DVDs, pool, Sky, the, the privilege of using phones. None. They've lost their benefits when they uh, either break in or do robbery or cause trouble. Well, I can't swear, can I? No, you can't. Uh, nothing. No, why? They've, they've committed a crime. Where the taxpayers, etc., are paying for them to be put up in a hotel, which Joey has <coughs> called it, and uh, it is a hotel. Well, that's what uh, lots of people think. Juliet, what's your reaction to that? I appreciate that. I mean, again, you know, what people are talking about is a lot of the things that you see in the popular press about prison being a holiday camp or a hotel. It's not. You know, if you were to go to a prison, you'd see for yourself that it's our punishment of last resort. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is Ian Lee. On BBC Three Counties Radio. Also on the show this week, Ian has his regular callers and every now and again, he even lets Dennis and Donstable on. There are a group of people who are concerned that kids aren't playing outside on their own enough these days. Well, I'm asking, at what age did you first play outside on your own? Dennis is in Dunstable. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning. So, well, when did you first play out on your own? Uh, this was in the 20s, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the 1920s? Yeah, well, not 1820s. That, that is mental. No, honestly. You're I a piece of living pub. history. I lived in a pub. They should take you to flog it. I know. They probably wouldn't get much for me. No. Maybe just no. half a shilling. No, I lived in a pub yes. alongside the Manchester-Liverpool railway line. Wow. I used to come out of... This, once I'd been shown the way, yes. I used to come out of the pub, walk alongside the railway line, yes. drop down some steps onto the edge of the Bridgewater Canal. So you're going to give us the whole journey in real time? Yeah, cross, cross the road yes, and went into another pub where my cousin then took me on to school and then in the right. evening I went the reverse. I had no children to play with at that age. No, you wouldn't? No, but... Oh, you mean friends? Oh, got friends. Yes, I got. I didn't know any friends but, around there. That yes. Time. It was only when I got to school that I met people, because in the pub there weren't any other children. They, no, hopefully not. No, well, no. We're Did not you? Right. So they had schools in the 1920s. You didn't just go up chimneys and clean no, them? No, no, no. It wasn't as bad as that. No, it had stopped all that by then. No, we got flogged when we got to school, mind you. Good. To make sure we were going to be get good. Good. Know? As you, you, you would think. So what do you think, Dennis? Th- th- there are kids these days who are 10, 11, 12, they're not even allowed out on their own. Well, can I say this? Please. I live right opposite a school in Dunstable here, and we've, on both sides of me, I've got two uh, brother and sister, youngsters, and they cycle up and down the pavement, and I've told them they can come onto my drive, because I have no car now, they can come up and down the drive as long as they don't run over the lawn. <laughs> Why not? They can cycle up. Y'all, I love the kids, you know. Yes. Let them play out, for God's sake. They get some fresh air, then. That's for, on your driveway? Yeah. How big is your driveway, Dennis? Oh, watch and see. Probably five metres long, and then we've got a, a patch in the middle of the... Uh, well, it would, would have been a lawn. We've just got a, uh, an area with, with flowers in. They cycle round and round that. And what, what, would, what would you do to those children if they did uh, disobey you and well, ride their bikes on the lawn? I told them not to do this, and this little girl next door, but two, she said, would, would you be cross if I did it accidentally? <laughs> Did you hit her? <laughs> no. No, no, of course you didn't, Dennis. You can't these days. No, That's I, one of the problems. If, if, no, if, if uh, the parents... I'd picked her up and kissed her. She's such a lovely kid. No, they're nice children. They, they get on with it, you know. Um, Dennis, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Bye-bye. Now, go and have a, go and have a cup of tea and a lie down. Yeah, I'm going to have a lie down and then a cup of tea. No, I said have a cup of tea, then a lie down. No, it's the other way around, no. I'm afraid. De- no, Dennis. <laughs> cup of tea, then a lie down. 
No, if I lay down, I'd, I'd be sick. OK, bye-bye. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, that was slightly surreal, the M40. Don't lay down, Adam, you'll be sick. <laughs> I'll do my best. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Do you remember your GCSEs? You right, Kath? Yeah, hi. Are you going to be long? I need to do the... Um, well, I'm a bit busy. I just need to do the podcast. Um, I think you'll be all right. You, what, five minutes? Yeah. All right. Maybe ten. See you in a bit. Anyway, as I was saying, do you remember your GCSEs? So does reporter Justin Dealey. He had to retake his maths exam this week. Yesterday, you, uh, Sophie Solaria, and other members of the BBC Three Counties team, uh, you were doing your maths GCSE. Yeah, we were, and I have to say, it was such a, a boring, dull experience, uh, sitting in a room for a, for an hour and a half doing this maths exam, which I lasted back in, what, 1996? And there was cheating going on. Who was doing the cheating? Well, Sophie Solaria, yeah. Ollie Bayliss, and Nick Coffer, all in the room together. Was, all, they, was Coffer cheating? Coffer was cheating as well. They took calculators oh. in there. You weren't allowed calculators. Calculators. They were making phone calls. What? What happened was, you had somebody taking the exam, and they'd sit down, oh, it's all nice and quiet in here, and then they left. So as soon as they left, people got their phones out. I actually walked out in the end because I was doing it for real. I was doing it seriously, and I was surrounded by cheating members. Cheating members of staff, can you believe that? And th- you, and I did I did look glimpse through, and I did see you taking it very seriously, yeah. and you, you just couldn't abide the cheating, and you had to no, leave. I had to leave in the end, yeah. Oh, mate, I'm sorry about it's that. Okay, it's fine. Okay, well, listen... The listener, we'll, we'll, we'll put this out there. What have you cheated at? 08459 455 555. We've all cheated at something. I won television's The Weakest Link. Yeah, I know, I know. It was, I was on The Weakest Link. I won it. I can reveal here, <clears throat> excuse me, there was a little bit of cheating going on on my part. I know, it, listen, it was for charity. I won £20,000 for charity. I got a nice fee as well for going on. Don't worry, it wasn't completely altruistic. But I cheated. The final voting round, it's me. Stood next to me uh, is Eddie Large. And then over there is Jim Bowen, right? Now, I voted for Bowen. My first vote, Bowen. I looked to my left and I saw that Eddie Large had voted for me. So I had to... I should have voted for Eddie because I had to statistically hope that that, um, Jim Bowen had also voted for Eddie. Then he'd be off. So, seeing that he'd voted for me, I kind of crossed out the, what I'd written and I wrote Eddie Large. Got him voted off. Wonderful. Then in the final round, it's me and Jim Bowen, we're playing for £20,000. My final question is, the owl and the pussycat went to see, what was the food they were eating? Anyone know? Anyone know? Well, it's quince, OK? I didn't quite know what quince was, though, and I thought it was quins. But quins are when you have, like, five kids. So I said quins. And Anne Robinson said, how do you spell that? Oh, yeah, right, OK, the pressure's on. Q-U-I-N... I was about to say Z. In fact, I started to say Z. And I heard Jim Bowen, because he's an old man. Sometimes, you know when old men, they say what they're thinking. Like, the word comes out, but they don't mean it to. And I heard him go, C. And I went, oh, yeah, C-E. Boom, £20,000 to the charity of my choice. Pow, 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 pow. In your face, Bowen, an old school comedy. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio.
Now, earlier on in the show, we heard from the family of an 82-year-old woman after her treatment at Milton Keynes Hospital. Joan Parker's daughter-in-law, Pam, told us what happened. My mother-in-law collapsed. She was 11 hours on the floor. Emergency ambulance was called. Um, It was apparent that she had a very nasty head injury. Um, The head was swollen. It was um, coming down her face and it was getting progressively worse and you couldn't mistake that she had a head injury. And um, it took us, um, you know, at least a couple of days to actually get a scan. And when they discovered there was blood on the brain, they did nothing. Well, Joan's son, Dave Parker, says if they hadn't intervened in her care, she would have died. I think the, the crisis is it's at every level of care. It's not just the high-level intensive care or brain op. It's just basic food, drink and cleanliness. I think because of our intervention, or many interventions over the whole course of her treatment in Milton Keynes, um, we had to inter- intervene and battle on a daily or, or even more, more than once a day to get her the basic level of care. And uh, if she hadn't have had that care, she definitely wouldn't be with us today. Well, this all comes after a report into elderly care by the Care Quality Commission found that Milton Keynes Hospital failed in all five categories. The hospital has admitted that mistakes were made. Well, I'm joined on the line now by Chief Executive of the hospital, Joe Harrison. Joe, what went wrong in Joan's case? Well, the first thing I'll say is thank you very much for inviting me onto your programme. And what I would say is that I'm very sorry to the family for the fact that we did at times let down this patient quite seriously we manage the care according to clinically how we should have done so let me let me be very explicit about it we worked with the john radcliffe hospital who are our local tertiary center who see all of the very seriously critically ill patients her head wasn't examined even though she obviously had a a, a, a head injury wasn't examined for a few days she was given uh, the wrong food her feeding wasn't supervised the uh, family were told that she'd been up and about walking when she hadn't been up and about walking she wasn't given fluids or put on a drip it's a pretty long list isn't it joe one of the things that i would say is that i am very clear that the care here is improving well, it needs to. You failed in all five categories that the Care Quality Commission have, have investigated into elderly care. I, I know that every single day, every patient now is seen every two hours by our nurse. Could you respond to, to the, sure the points I put to you? I can. Just, if you just let me say that where I think we can give the public confidence, every two hours now all of our patients are seen... They are asked if they need a drink. They're asked if they need any help at all with their medication. It does seem amazing that you're flagging that up as as being an improvement. That seems to me to be obvious and quite shameful that that wasn't happening before. Well, I think one of the things that the Care Quality Commission did identify was that the hospital needed to improve its care. That that um, well, you failed uh, in five categories. So yes, that survey was taken take took place in December. And since then, the hospital, you will, I hope your readers and your listeners rather will have seen that Milton Keynes is now one of the most improved hospitals in the country. Let's go back to Joan's case. And again, I don't want to go through that long list of of, of failures on the hospital's part. How do you explain those? I know that we, in certain areas, let down that family. In very serious, significant areas, Joan. I personally met with that family to ensure that we would listen to them and improve our care for patients. But how do you explain what happened and, and, and why it went so wrong? 
Well, I, I don't want to get into the particulars of this issue with the family well, because I know. Well, let me let me finish because I know that clinically, in relation to the treatment for the patient's head injury, clinically we did everything that we should have. Well, done. let me just I go through that list. That the family has a as a different view. Let me just that, go through that, that list one more time fine. that the family have put forward. Because I do think it's significant. She was given the wrong food that she was unable to eat and wasn't helped with eating her food. Mm-hmm. Her head wasn't examined uh, uh, for a few days, even though it was apparent that she had in- head injuries. Nothing was done when bleeding on the brain was found. Uh, she wasn't given fluids or put on a drip for quite a few days, even though she was dehydrated. I'm, I'm sorry that the family feel that nothing was done. How could those things be allowed to happen? That was not the case. Are you saying all of those things are incorrect? I'm, I'm referencing specifically the most serious issue that the family have raised, which is in relation to the head injury. So you're saying that the family have, uh, have got it wrong? And what I'm saying is... I'm just, I'm just clarifying, Joe, because this is very important. You're saying it, that the it, family have got it, it, have got it, it wrong. It's very important. I'm sorry that the family have not heard what we've been saying, which is that with the specialist centre that we liaised with the day after the patient came into the hospital, with that specialist centre, we agreed that the conservative management of that patient was appropriate. The conservative management. So you didn't give treatments that perhaps could have... or, or undertake tests that could perhaps have been done? We agreed the best clinical management for that patient with that tertiary centre, John Radcliffe, who I have absolute respect for, we agreed that the most appropriate care for that patient right. was not intervention. And I need, I need to make sure that your listeners... She wasn't given a head scan at, for, at, for four days. At not every point is it appropriate for intervention to take place. She wasn't given a head scan for four days. She's an 82-year-old woman that had collapsed and had been lying on the floor for 11 hours and had a swelling on her head. She wasn't given a head scan for four days. Have, have the family got that wrong? Now, we know that... Have the family got that wrong? We know that you ha- Joe, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay, have, have the family... Go- and I will, if you give me a chance... No, if you could answer, answer that question now, because I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting slightly frustrated with your PR speak. Have the family got that wrong? Let me, let me answer the question, please. Please? I will say that the family were... That patient, rather, was given a head scan when they came into Milton Keynes. On the first day they came in? No, because it was not clinically appropriate. After four days, she was... So, uh, Joe, you, you are being slightly evasive. I, I promise you I'm not. No, Joe, no, Joe, no, our no, listeners no, will make I'm our not. mind up. You are being evasive. Did she get a head scan uh, uh, after four days? In response to that question, yes, she did. Was it clinically appropriate to have it sooner? No, it wasn't. So let me be explicit again. Even though she was an 82-year-old woman who had obvious head injuries... She was x-rayed for other injuries that right. she had on the day okay. she arrived from A&E. So clinically she was given the right treatment. I'm sorry the family don't believe us. I'm sorry that the tertiary centre agree with the hospital. I'm sorry that the family... But she had bleeding on her brain, didn't she? She did. Could that have been established earlier if the head scan had happened earlier? Would the treatment have been any different? No. Had, uh, could that have been... That's not the question, Joe. I don't know. I don't know. Had, some buts and maybes. No, 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 Joe. These are, these, are, these are straightforward questions. I don't had, know. Had the scan happened four days earlier, would the bleeding on the brain have been discovered? I do not know. It's likely it would have done, wouldn't, isn't it, Joe? That's your view. I do not know. Joe, come on. If the, if the scan found it, uh, uh, found bleeding on the brain four days after she'd gone in, it's likely that the scan would have discovered that very serious condition four days earlier, isn't it? Could I just be clear that the... I wish you would be clear, Joe, because you're not at the moment. Ser- <laughs> Thank you. Serious conditions um, require intervention. Yes. This, when the first scan was taken, and let's... Let's also be clear, there were two scans taken. Yeah, the, the first, first one was took four days after she'd when, gone in. When the first scan was taken, yeah. no intervention was clinically required. 
When the second scan was taken, again, we discussed it with the experts at the John Radcliffe, and at that point, we agreed that clinical intervention was required. What about the food issue? Elderly people um, often need help with their foods. Absolutely. Uh, and Joan, who was 82, I believe has, has uh, mouth cancer or throat cancer, uh, and couldn't eat certain kinds of food. We got that wrong. We got that absolutely wrong. How? Because we were not providing the standard of care as a hospital that we should have been doing. How? How did you get that wrong? I know, I know, I know in what manner you got that wrong. How was that allowed to happen? Because we weren't getting the basics in place. I know, again, I know that. Why were you not getting the basics in place? What went wrong, Joe? What went wrong was that we did not have the systems, we did not have the the ways to check on our patients that we have now. How can a hospital, Joe, not have the systems to know whether an 82-year-old woman with some kind of mouth or throat cancer is not eating her food? How can the hospital not have that basic system in place? I would like to, I would like to comment on what we have. No, no, no. I want to know how, how, that could, how that could possibly happen. How an 82-year-old woman who couldn't speak, who has some form of cancer, who can't eat certain foods, was sat there with being given the wrong foods that were for somebody else and not being supervised and not being aided with her eating. How is that possible to happen in a hospital? I've said I'm sorry. I am the chief executive of this hospital. How is that possible, Joe? Please, please let me Well, stop, stop giving me the PR speak no, and answer I'm the not. question. I, I am proud of this hospital. I'm proud of the improvements that we have made over the last three months. We know that our patients today receive the care in the vast majority of cases. We don't always get it right in the vast majority but of cases. you're not answering the question. The question was, how was that allowed to happen? I have answered the question. No, you haven't. How was that allowed to happen? How was an 82-year-old woman who had difficulties eating be allowed to be given the wrong food and not be helped with her, her eating? So what I said is that we did not have the right systems in place to support every single patient. We have that now. And that must make you feel very proud that you finally got a system where elderly people who struggle to eat can now be helped with their eating. It makes me feel proud that we are looking after the population of Milton Keynes. At last. The standard that I would expect us to. OK, and it's, it's taken a while to get there. If the uh, CQC... It, it, it has, and, and again, I, I need to be very explicit with your listeners that absolutely it has taken a while. This hospital has been looking to do this for years and i'm pleased well, to why it's that. taken years joe i can't answer that no it's I taken can't. years no you can't answer very much this morning the cqc if they came feel that way no uh, the listeners feel the way as well i'm sure if the cqc uh, came and did another report would you fail on all five categories or would you pass on them we would not fail on all five categories I'm would you sure pass all of them that. that is dependent upon what the inspectors say on the day so you're not confident you were passing them i know that the cqc will come into this hospital I know that, as they have done already, they will comment on the significant improvement. But you're not confident you would pass on all of them. We've got a text from Jim who says, it's unacceptable the way that Joan has been treated at Milton Keynes Hospital, but to be perfectly honest, it doesn't surprise me. I wish her the very best of luck and hope she has a quick recovery. We're getting lots of opinions like that, Joe. How do you change those opinions? By evidencing that Milton Keynes is one of the best improved hospitals in the country. That's how we change it. That's how I, st- I can speak to your listeners today and say that if you come into our A&E department now, we are one of the most improved in the country over the last three months when everybody else nationally is saying that there are problems in A&E, 
ours is getting better. But being one of the most improved doesn't... This final thing, so we are running out of time. Being one of the most improved doesn't necessarily mean it's one of the best. It means it could mean that you started from a very, very low standard, which you did. Um, what I want to make sure... Is that funny? I don't know. I didn't think that was funny. It wasn't it's, it's, one of my best jokes. It's an interesting take from you. You failed, um, you failed in all five categories that the CQC investigated in, in Care to Early. So, yes, you started from a very low standard. We don't, we don't know whether we have achieved all those five standards. You started from a very low standard. So saying you're the most improved hospital, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily mean your standard now is particularly high, does it? I, um, I was asked a question yesterday whether I would have my family treated in this hospital... And the simple answer to that is, I would have my family treated in this hospital, yes. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Sex shops. Would you want one near you? It was a heavy discussion on Ian's show this week. I must warn you, in the next interview you'll hear the V-bomb. (laughs) <laughs> We've got uh, Lynette Burrows, who's a writer and broadcaster, and also Jerry Barnett, who's a former chairman of the Adult Industry Trade Association and a sexual freedom campaigner. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Hello. Jerry, I'll start with you first. What's the attraction of having an establishment like this on the high street? Um, well, I guess the attraction is that people want to, to visit them, and, uh, you know, why, why shouldn't they be on the high streets as long as they're tasteful and... and uh, you know, uh, and, and people want to attend. One of the arguments that Councillor Spur put forward is, is that vulnerable people could uh, could be corrupted by by these sex shops in the high yeah, street. I mean, that's that's uh, a kind of an, a nice old British way of looking at sex, and and you know, and it's the way we've looked at it since at least Victorian times, and probably. Um, you know what does vulner- what do vulnerable people mean? We 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 have sex in this country, like in every other country. We just like to pretend it doesn't exist. Are sex shops tasteful, Jerry? Some are and some aren't. You know, it depends where you go. I mean, there's there are some lovely ones now in in central London. The Harmony Store in Oxford Street is really nice. Now, and you, you mentioned get as many women and going into these places as men these days. Isn't it funny you mentioned the Harmony Store because I was walking past that just last Thursday. I know exactly the shop you mean. It's got some quite outrageous clothing in the window. I, I don't know if I'd call that tasteful. Uh, yeah, it depends on your taste, really, doesn't it? Lynette, do you think... Some people it's tasteful and some people it's outrageous, I guess. Lynette, do you think that um, sex shops are tasteful? <laughs> no, not really, only if you've got very low taste. But I suppose you could... I mean, tasteful, it's all... Uh, leaves a nasty taste in most people's mouths. The buying and selling of the human body without love or affection or morality. They don't like it. And um, I'm jolly glad of that. But these, these sex shops don't um, encourage necessarily immorality or, or um, not people not to love each other. It's just a bit of fun in the bedroom, isn't it? Uh, it's, I think it's pretty low taste, quite honestly. It is about selling. Um, you know, it's not people that you know. It's nothing personal about it. It's commercialised sex. That's all. And there's, um, there's an industry that makes money out of it. And there's a lot of sad people who use it. But if I wanted... I'm just bearing in mind we've got young ears listening. But if I wanted to pop into a, a, a sex shop on the high street and buy some saucy pants uh, and maybe some bedroom equipment, there's no problem with that, is there? Oh, well, uh, saucy pants, goodness knows. Are you talking about ones that fasten above the knee? Um, I don't really know. Saucy pants, no, you're not talking about that. You're talking about uh, something that involves a lack of morality, actually. Jerry, a lack of morality. Sorry? 
Um, yeah, I mean, if some people think sex is immoral, but it's not, it's a normal human thing, and, and yeah, we all sure. do it. And the fact is, we used to call these toys marital aids, and the fact is that most people are going in there to spice up their relationships, to make their relationships better. You know, people who are having more sex in their marriage are more likely to have a happy marriage and more likely to stay together. So is that moral or immoral? Well, I, I wouldn't... <laughs> I wouldn't know about that, but uh, is it moral or immoral to sell sex aids? I doubt very much. I mean, all surveys tell us that people have, uh, married people have less and less sex because they've got no time for it, they have got no energy, and I guess in, in a way, they're a bit, you know, the whole thing has become very jaded and sordid in the hands of you gentlemen, so people with a normal appetite wandered off and left you to play with yourselves. Jerry, we are sordid, and we do not have normal appetites. Here's the thing. I mean, this is the old British attitude to sex, and this is probably why we should have sex shops in the high street, because sex isn't sordid, and other countries and other cultures don't look at it as sordid. I'm not, uh, saying, I'm not saying sex is sordid, dear boy. Neither did the Victorians. They had much larger families than we have. Um, it's nothing to do with sex being sordid. It's your handling of it that is sordid. That's how, how would you like me to handle sex, Lynette? I wouldn't like you to sell it as if it was a commodity. Sorry, I missed that. What was that, sorry? I would like you not to sell it as if it was a commodity, with girls just things in it and people's emotions just things, and the crafty notion of how to stimulate a completely phony and false sexual feeling. Jerry, the, the, the people that took part in this survey, uh, just under 90% of the public were, were not approving of, of sex, uh, of lap dancing clubs and sex shops in the high street. So mm. it would appear that there isn't an appetite for it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always a bit suspicious of surveys because it depends what question you ask, doesn't it? You know, if, if they said, would you like your children to have to see lap dancing clubs every day, then most people say no. But um, so, yeah, I mean, certainly in, I, I'm not familiar with Bedford. It may, it's probably a bit more Conservative in Tower Hamlets um, and Hackney in East London studies yeah. have been done, and the public were in, were, were in favour of the clubs and and shops remaining there. But look, I mean, um, you know, it, it used to be shocking that these these seedy little shops opened and sold vibrators and things. These days, you can buy vibrators in boots, you know. And, and uh, uh, you know, we, our attitudes to sex are, are changing. Um, you know, there is nothing wrong with enjoying sex. There is nothing wrong with um, you, you know, getting stimulation and, and accepting that sex is good. And I, I think, to be honest, sexual attitudes in this country have changed massively for the better, in, certainly in my memory, in the past 30 years or so. Lynette, you're, you're, you're behind the times. Well, I would say that the fact that, yes, I quite agree they are changing, which is why 90% of people don't want to see this tat on their high streets, and good luck to them. But aren't we doing people a disservice, Lynette? There is obviously a market for this. You, you mentioned that, that a lot of married couples are having less and less sex. If these shops encourage married couples to have more sex and to strengthen their relationship, that's got to be a good thing, hasn't it? <laughs> you're talking nonsense, aren't you? I mean, you're talking you're talking to us as if a sexual relation was all the same, whether you had it with a, uh, a stranger, somebody you knew and loved, responsibly, irresponsible. I mean, you're just talking about a human activity. It's like talking about anything else. It depends on the context. And there's nothing wonderful about the kind of soulless 
um, isolated, on your own sex, vibrators, how great that you can buy them. It's okay. pitiful. People should get a good book. OK, we've had, well, yeah, we've, we've had the V-bomb drop three times. Let's just steady away from that, because I know there'll be awkward questions being asked in cars by young children uh, at the moment. But, Lynette, you, you, you said it was, it was uh, uh, men's fault. I, as I, I say... I didn't say it was men's fault. OK. Uh, but I was in Oxford Street the other day, and I saw more women going into Anne Summers than men. Mm, very sad, isn't it? Yes. Is it? I think it is. Why? Yes, absolutely. Why? Um, well, the idea of having to um, stimulate yourself sexually because you haven't got a real relationship in your life. But maybe they have got sad. a real relationship and they're, they're, they're doing that to encourage no, that relationship. Um, we won't mention the things that you mentioned. It's no. all about a solitary vice, actually. And um, that, far more than anything else, that um, people are healthy and love one another. They can make their own fun. They don't need probably the lowest brains around to put together a programme to do it for them. Jerry, final, final point to you? Um, well, it's healthy. We know that uh, using these, these appliances is actually good for health. There's plenty of, oh, of medical studies, um, uh, you know, things like in, in men, reduce prostate cancer and, oh, and, and various other things. You can find, find all these, these studies online. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we're, we're going to end it there. We'll give you each other's phone numbers so you can continue this discussion off air. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Trisha's in Luton. Good morning, Trisha. Good morning. Let's muzzle all dogs, shall we? No. Sorry? No. What? Muzzle the owners. Why? Because um, not all dogs are bad. I have two staffs. Oh. I've had one for 13 years yep. who was a rescue dog. The... I've now got another puppy dog. Oh, dear. Another rescue dog oh. who is only two. Yes. I've got granddaughters. Yeah. I've got an 18-month-old granddaughter that absolutely pulls him to pieces. Now, I don't know his full background. Well, you, then, Tricia, Tricia, permission to speak for it. What's, what is this second dog that your 18-month-old granddaughter pulls to pieces? Another Staffordshire Bull Terrier. Tricia? Yeah? That's really irresponsible. It's not irresponsible. Of course it is. You can't let an 18-month-old play with a dog like that. Why can't I? Because you, you, haven't, you say you don't know the dog's background. You've got no idea what that dog's going to do. I trust the dog. How can... Oh, Tricia. Right. No, you, it's the same with the, the 13-year-old dog. She pulls her to pieces as well. It's not just my granddaughter. I've had children in and out my house. Okay, I I've suspect had family barbecues I where sus- there's been lots of children. You shouldn't leave an eighteen-month-old with a dog, Dave and Luton. It makes sense, doesn't it? The case is if you if you're indoors, yes. and you just go out to the kitchen, yes. And there's a baby in there. Well, you don't do that. There's no, there's, no, there's no excuse for that, Dave. You can't leave a baby in a room with a dog. Just going to make a cup of tea. It's like you can't leave a baby in a bath. Oh, I just, there was the phone ringing, so I went and answered the, the, the phone, and then my baby right. drowned. You can't do it. No, I know you can't, but people do. Well, people are idiots. But, well, I know. Well, but then these, we agree. Dogs, but these people with dogs should all be give, uh, told they've got uh, their dogs trained by special people. I'll tell you what you don't hear anymore, Dave. See if this rings a bell. You'll know. I'm, the, 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 the youngsters listening to this won't know what this means, but you, you'll know this, and you'll know the hand movement I'm making at the same time. Yeah. Sit. Sit. You don't get that anymore. No, you don't. What hand movement? Not, what hand movement not, am I making? No, because they're not going to train us. I, uh, David. I had four dogs years ago, yes. and I, my dogs were all trained, yeah. and they would never bite a person. The only thing is I don't agree with today yeah. is these leads that let a dog go out about 20 yards oh, ahead. Oh, yeah, they're or, not good. Or behind. They should never be... They should be on about yes. the ordinary Dave. lead. Dave. 
Yeah. When I do this, sit. What yeah. hand movement am I making? Well, yeah. Well, how can I do that? I can't. Just put your hand, your hand down on to the dog, and he's looking at you, yeah. and he should be sitting. No, that's not. Come on, you remember Barbara Woodhouse? Barbara Woodhouse's thing was she had her arm out in front of her, and when she said sit, she would bring her palm towards her. Sit. Yeah. That's what I'm just saying. Yes. I can't just describe it to you. You put your palm, yes. your hand down to the dog, yes. it looks up at your hand, and your hand's coming down. No, your hand's, your, your hand's coming to up. No, no, your hand's going down to the dog. No, your hand's coming up to no, your face. You put your, no, when you put your hand down to a dog, yes. that dog looks at you, not to say you, he's got to sit. No, that's, that's you stay. Your up, You're doing stay. This is sit. Is the, is the arm is out, palm upright, and the palm comes towards no. your face. Sit. No, that's not right. Though it is. No, it's not. It is. Sorry. That's how Barbara Woodhouse did it. Oh well, Barbara Woodhouse is wrong. Sorry. <gasps> David in Luton, you've just you've just committed dog blasphemy. Barbara Woodhouse is wrong. No, 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 no. Listen, there are people of a certain age, and I assumed Dave was of that age. Maybe Dave's a little bit uh, too old. I don't know, but people of a certain age. When Barbara, Barbara Woodhouse used to own dogs, I swear if she was still alive, we wouldn't have any of the problems we've got now. Uh, can you believe, right, Barbara Woodhouse had her own television series. For those who don't know, she was a dotty old woman, wonderful, marvellous, who would present a weekly TV show that taught you how to train dogs. She was a celebrity. Boy, were we starved for entertainment in the 70s. She was a celebrity. Really old woman. And um, she would to teach dogs to sit, arm out, palm upright, sit! On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is Ian Lee. On BBC Three Counties Radio. Sometimes in live radio you can lose it on air. If you're unprofessional. Just like Ian did when talking to JVS. BBC Three Counties Radio. Wow! Oh, a leg kick. Oh, <laughs> top myself a mischief. You were right. Oh, I've, I've something that's separated that should not be separated. It's not oh, been separated for 39 years, 40 <laughs> years these days. <laughs> it's Jonathan Vernon Smith. Ow! Just leaving some pause so we can cut that. We'll use that frequently on the show. <laughs> How are you, JVS? I'm all right. Why have you got a one lone Jaffa cake sitting Well, because here? the production team said, oh, we've had Jaffa cakes this morning. Do you want the last one? Yeah, thanks, ah. guys. Yeah, I'll have the last one. Thanks, guys. Thanks for that, guys. That's my production team. You shouldn't eat chocolate on it. It gives you a claggy mouth. I, I, yes, I'm aware of that. That's why I'm saving it for later. Quite right, too. Nice little bit of uh, clag. I, I've been enjoying your show a lot recently. Uh, dare I say it? You're on fire at the moment. Ooh. You are on fire. Thanks. Yes, I, I'm saying that. I can't remember what I enjoyed yesterday. <laughs> no, but I did. I know. It sounds really weird. But there were several bits. I, there, there was a bit in the office we turned it up uh, and uh, listened. And, uh, but I can't remember what these bits were. There was a bit in the consumer hour. Oh. Well, it was all good. It was all good. What was the old lady you, you, you were dealing with in the consumer hour yesterday? There was, uh, there was, well, I was dealing with a young lady and her pet sitter. Is that the, uh, is that the, the case you're... <laughs> Referring to <laughs> it's a bit rude, isn't it, about my listeners? Well, she was, was that old lady. <laughs> she's not old. I've met her. She's not old. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what I'm talking. You got what it was from the description. Well, no, the guy who spoke to one woman yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> she's not old. How old is she? I don't know. She's about. I'm not going to go into how old she is on the air. She's in her. I don't know. Probably in her forties. <laughs> 
Joe Bromwell. She sounds like she's in her 70s. It's very rude. A lot of people say, I sound like I'm in my 80s. <laughs> You're not? What? I'm not. Well, she's led her life then. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, <laughs> How rude, honestly. What a, what a cracking story, though. For those who don't, don't know, it's a lady, she's gone away on holiday, she's got a few dogs, one is an epileptic, and she uh, got a dog sitter... Was, was, that, was that a sympathetic tone going through? <laughs> What the hell was that? It should be muzzled. One of them was an epileptic. <laughs> Are you all right? Poor dog. She, well, so one of them is an epileptic dog. Yes. Um, and uh, she had problems with the gentleman who came to look after the dog. Well, she alleges he drank all her booze and let the dogs poo all over the place. And was getting bullied by the builder. Yes. So it's a very serious complaint. It, it, oh, gosh. I had further conversations with that company yesterday afternoon. It didn't end very well. Are you going to be talking about it today? Um, possibly tomorrow, because okay. I need to speak to the landlord in the village oh, where Susan lives, because the landlord apparently saw this pet sitter coming in and getting sloshed every lunchtime. So I need to go and speak to him this afternoon Yes, and find out what's going on. More on that case tomorrow. <laughs> What about... I'm really sorry. I'm so, I'm so enjoying You're, your show at the moment. What about... This, it's like you've got comedy ones. What about the, the, the people who are doing the painting and the, the bottom of the paint fell off? Why is that funny? <laughs> Why are you finding all my poor <laughs> listeners' complaints funny? They're not funny during their carpet. <laughs> Look at you laughing. What's wrong? So this is terrible. It's terrible. And I don't know... What, I'm you not, wouldn't like it, would it? <laughs> your carpet... <laughs> What? But that was... A, I mean, that was... I don't know why I'm laughing. You're making... Oh my What's going on with you? I'm hysterical. <laughs> it was a very serious complaint uh, about they opened a tub of paint. Stop laughing. It's not funny. Poor couple. They opened a tub he of paint. He opened a t- <laughs> The bottom fell out. They went all down the stairs. There's a picture on Twitter. It's not funny. It looks terrible. That's it's carpet. ruined their carpet. That carpet, is, that carpet is. Yeah. yeah. That carpet is ruined. Yeah. There's nothing. I'm so sorry. What's going on with you? I do, you're in a funny mood. I'm so sorry. <laughs> poor family in their carpet. That's all I can think of. So anyway, I look forward, I look forward to um, hearing... <laughs> You said, did he have a did he have a dad's drop? And she went, No, I was in the garden and I just heard this loud scream. I bet you did. I bet you did. Well I was just thinking of my dad because things like that happened to my dad. And my dad would have a dad's drop. He'd have to go for a walk up the road to calm down. Do you know what I mean? My dad was always spilling paint all over the place. I, I've spilt paint, and get, even getting a tiny bit of paint It's off. a devil. You can't get it out of anything. Oh, top of it. <laughs> Stop laughing. It's their carpet. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry to that couple and to uh, everybody involved. I don't know, eh? What's he like? Yeah, so you finish. I need to do the um, podcast. Oh, really? I think it might be all right this week. What's this? Um... You're not doing the podcast links, are you? Well, I might have been doing them a bit, yeah. Uh, well, have you, I mean, how many have you done? It's all right, sorted. Uh, I'm off now. See ya. Uh, well, that was the podcast. Comes out every week. If you want to, if you want to listen live, weekday morning, six to nine. Cats, that's bang out of order. What you did then? Seriously, that was really rude. Thanks for listening to this free download from BBC Three Counties Radio, your local radio station for beds, hearts and bucks.
on FM, AM, digital radio and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. 